Chapter 9 of The Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter 9 Clipping a Bird's Wings. The clouds were fast gathering over poor Sansuchi's heavens. The Commodore had quite recovered for the time being, and he began to urge the marriage of his niece with his favorite. Dr. Grimshaw's importunities were also becoming very tiresome. They were no longer a jest. She could no longer divert herself with them. She felt them as a real persecution, and expressed herself accordingly. To Grim, she said, Once I used to laugh at you, but now I do hate you more than anything in the universe. And I wish, I do wish that you were in heaven, for I do detest the very sight of you there. And to the Commodore's furious threats she would answer, Uncle, the time has passed by centuries ago for forcing girls into wedlock. Thanks be to Christianity and civilization. You can't force me to have Grimm, and you had as well give up the wicked purpose, or words to that effect. One day, when she had said something of the sort, the Commodore answered cruelly, Very well, miss. I force no one, please to understand, but I afford my protection and support only upon certain conditions, and withdraw them when those conditions are not fulfilled. Neither you nor your mother had any legal claim upon me. I was not in any way bound to feed and clothe and house you for so many years. I did it with a tacit understanding that you were to marry to please me, and all your life you have understood, as well as any of us, that you were to wed Dr. Grimshaw. If such an understanding existed, it was without my consent, and was originated in my infancy, and I do not feel and I will not be in the least degree bound by it. For the expense of my support and education, uncle, I am truly sorry that you risked it upon the hazardous chance of my liking or disliking the man of your choice. But as I had no hand in your venture, I do not feel the least responsible for your losses. Yours is the fate of a gambler in human hearts who has staked and lost. That is the worst. And by all the fiends in fire, Minion, you shall find that it is not the worst. I know how to make you knuckle under, and I shall do it, exclaimed the Commodore in a rage, as he rose up and strode off toward the room occupied by Mary Loiseau. Without the ceremony of knocking, he burst the door open with one blow of his foot, and entered where the poor, feverish, frightened creature was lying down to take a nap. Throwing himself into a chair by her bedside, he commenced a furious attack upon the trembling invalid. He recounted, with much exaggeration, the scene that had just transpired between himself and Jacquelina, repeated with additions, her undutiful words, bitterly reproaching Mary for encouraging and fostering that rebellious and refractory temper in her daughter, warned her to bring the headstrong girl to a sense of her position and duty, or to prepare to leave his roof for he swore he wouldn't be hectored over and trodden down by her nor her daughter any longer. And so, having overwhelmed the timid, nervous woman with undeserved reproaches and threats, 
he arose and left the room. And can anyone be surprised that her illness was increased, and her fever arose and her senses wandered all night? When her mother was ill, Jacquelina could not sleep. Now she sat by her bedside, sponging her hot hands, and keeping ice to her head, and giving drink to slake her burning thirst, and listening, alas, to her sad and rambling talk about their being turned adrift in the world to starve to death, or to perish in the snow, calling on her daughter to save them both by yielding to her uncle's will. And Jacquelina heard, and understood, and wept, and sighed, a new experience to the poor girl, who was not used to tears at night instead of slumber. All through the night she nursed her with unremitting care, and in the morning when the fever waned, and the patient was wakeful, though exhausted, she left her only to bring the refreshing cup of tea and plate of toast prepared by her own hands. But when she brought it to the bedside, the pale invalid waved it away. She felt as if she could not eat. Fear had clutched her throat and would not relax its hold. "'I want to talk to you, Jacquelina,' she said. "'Eat and drink first, Mimi, and then you and I will have such another good talk,' said Jacquelina coaxingly. "'I can't. Oh, I can't swallow a mouthful. I'm choking now. Oh, that is nothing but the hysterics, Mimi. High strikes, as Jenny calls them. I feel like I should have them myself sometimes. Come, cheer up, Mimi. Your fever is off and your head is cool.' Come, take this consoling cup of tea and bit of toast, and you will feel so much stronger and cheerfuller. Tea. Oh, everything I eat and drink in this unhappy house is bitter, the bitter cup and bitter bread of dependence. Put more sugar into it then, Mimi, and sweeten it. Come, things are not yet desperate. Cheer up. What do you mean, my love? Have you consented to be married to Dr. Grimshaw? No, St. Mary, heaven forbid, exclaimed Jacquelina, shuddering for the first time. Now why heaven forbid, O oh, my child, why are you so perverse? Why won't you take him, since your uncle has set his heart upon the match? Oh, mother, I know you're very young to be married, too young, far too young, only sixteen, gracious heaven. But then you know we have no alternative but that, or starvation. And it's not as if you were to be married to a youth of your own age. This gentleman is of grave years and character, which makes a great difference. I should think it did. What makes you shiver and shake so, my dear? Are you cold or nervous? Poor child, you got no sleep last night. Do you drink that cup of tea, my dear? You need it more than I do. No, no. Why, what is the matter with my fairy? Oh, mother, mother, don't take sides against me, don't or you'll drive me to my ruin. Who will take a child's part if a mother doesn't? I love you best of all the world, mother. Do not take sides against me. Take my part. Help me to be true, to be true. True to whom, Jacquelina? What are you talking about? True to this heart, to this heart, mother, to all that is honest and good in my nature. I don't understand you at all. Oh, mother, the thought of marrying anybody is unwelcome to me now. And the idea of being married to Grimm is abhorrent. It, it's like of being sold to a master that I hate or sent to prison for life. It is full of terror and despair. Oh, oh, don't talk so wildly, Jacquelina. You make me ill. Do I, Mimi? Oh, I don't mean to worry you. Bear up, Mimi. Do try to bear up. Don't fear. 
Suppose he does turn me out. I am but a little girl, and food and clothing are cheap enough in the country, and any of our neighbors will take me in just for the fun I'll make them. La, yes, that they will, just as gladly as they'll let in the sunshine. Oh, child, how little you know of the world. Yes, for a day or two, or a week or two, scarcely longer. And even if you could find a home, who would give shelter to your poor sick mother for the rest of her life? Mother! Uncle would never deny you shelter upon my account, exclaimed Jacquelina, growing very pale. Indeed he will, my child, he has. He came in here last night and warned me to pack up and leave the house. He will not dare, even he, so to outrage humanity and public opinion, and everything he ought to respect. My child, he will. He has set his heart upon making Nace Grimshaw his successor at Luckenough, that if you disappoint him in this darling there will be no limit to his rage and his revenge and he will not only send us from his roof but he will seek to justify himself and further ruin us by blackening our names your wildness and eccentricity will be turned against us and so distorted and misrepresented as to ruin us forever mother mother he is not so wicked as that he is furious in his temper, and violent in his impulses. He will do all that under the influence of disappointment and passion. However he may afterward repent his injustice, you must not disappoint him, Jacquelina. I disappoint him? Why, Mimi, Luckenough does not belong to me. And if he wants Grimm to be his successor, why, as I have heard Auntie ask him, does he not make him his heir? There are reasons, I suspect, my dear, why he cannot do so. I think he holds the property by such a tenure that he cannot alienate it from the family, and the only manner in which he can bestow it upon Dr. Grimshaw will be through his wife, if the doctor should marry some relative. That is it, eh? Well, I will not be made a sumpter mule to carry this rich gift over to Dr. Grimshaw even if there is no other way of conveyance. Mother, what is the reason the professor is such a favorite with uncle? My dear, I don't know, but I have often had my suspicions. Of what, Mimi? Of a very near, though unacknowledged relationship. Don't question me any further upon that particular point, my dear, for I really don't know nothing whatever about it. Oh, dear. And the invalid groaned and turned over. Mother, you are very weak. Mother, please to take some tea. Let me go get you some hot. Tell me, Jacquelina, will you do as the old man wishes you? I will tell you after you take some refreshments, said Jacquelina. Well, go bring me some. The girl went and brought more hot tea and toast, and waited until her mother had drunk the former and partaken of a morsel of the latter. When in answer to the eager, inquiring look, she said, Mother, if I alone were concerned, I would leave this house this moment, though I should never have another roof over my head. But for your sake, mother, I will still fight the battle. I will try to turn uncle from his purpose. I will try to awaken Grimm's generosity, if he has any, and get him to withdraw his suit. I will get auntie to use her influence with both of them, and see what can be done. But as for marrying Dr. Grimshaw, mother, I know what I am saying. I would rather die. And see me die, my child. Oh, mother, it will not be so bad as that. Jacquelina, it will. Do you know what is the meaning of these afternoon fevers 
and night sweats and this cough. I know it means that you're very much out of health, Mimi, but I hope you'll be well in the spring. Jacqueline, it means death. Oh, no, 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 not so. There's Miss Nancy Scamp has had a cough every winter ever since I knew her, and she's not dead nor likely to die. And you will be well in the spring, said the girl, changing color and faltering in spite of herself. I shall never see another spring, my child. Oh, mother, don't. Don't say so. You hear me out, my dear. I shall never live to see another spring unless I can have a quiet life with peace of mind. These symptoms, my child, mean death, sooner or later. My life may be protracted for many years if I can live in peace and comfort. But if I must suffer privation, want, and anxiety, I cannot survive many months, Jacquelina. The poor girl was deadly pale. She started up and walked the floor in a distracted manner, crying, What shall I do? Oh, what shall I do? It's very plain what you shall do, my child. You must marry Dr. Grimshaw. Come, my dear, be reasonable. If I didn't think it best for your happiness and prosperity, I would not urge it. Mimi, don't talk any longer, dear, Jacquelina interrupted. There's a bright spot on your cheek now, and your fever will rise again. Even this morning I will see what can be done to bring everybody to reason. I will not believe, but that if I remain firm and faithful to my heart's integrity, there will be some way of escape made between these two alternatives. But could Sansuchi do this? Had the frolicsome fairy sufficient integral strength and self-balance to resist the powerful influences gathering around her. End of chapter 9